Let us move now to the third of the three intermediate blessings on Rosh Hashanah that is known as Shofarot. Of course, the Shofar is very central to Rosh Hashanah. But the blessing of Shofarot has a particular theme. Once again, of course, we have a statement and then we will have nine verses plus a tenth verse. The Shofarot section of Rosh Hashanah begins with a description of God's revelation on Har Sinai, the giving of the Torah. God, you reveal yourself in a cloud of glory to speak to your holy people. So it recalls Sinaitic uh, revelation, the giving of the Torah. The focus in the Rosh Hashanah service is not so much on the content of Kabbalat Torah. It's more in the experience or the revelation. And in general, the shofar in the shofarot section refers to the fact that God is revealed throughout time. That's how it begins. You have revealed yourself. And in describing in the beginning of this section the giving of the Torah at Har Sinai, and of course, the giving of the Torah at Har Sinai was accompanied with the shofar. The word shofar appears three times in conjunction with the giving of the Torah. And these three verses form the beginning of the shofarot section. It is interesting to note, perhaps we'll get to this later, that when the Torah speaks of Rosh Hashanah, which it does in two places, it doesn't say very much about Rosh Hashanah. In one place it talks about Rosh Hashanah as a Yom Truah, a day of Truah. In the other place it calls it a Zichron Truah. But in neither place does the Torah ever, ever mention the Shofar in conjunction with Rosh Hashanah. The Talmud tries to figure out what Yom Truah and Zichron Truah could mean. And the Talmud, through its uh, exegesis, comes to the conclusion that the day of Rosh Hashanah is a day of Shofar. The text itself never mentions Shofar, the Torah text. But it does mention Shofar several times in conjunction with Har Sinai. What's interesting is, in these verses, in the beginning of the Shofar old section, the section of Revelation, that when you look at the verses, what does the Shofar signal, signal, signify at Sinai? So one of the verses, as it is written in your Torah, when you descended to Mount Sinai, to teach the people Torah and mitzvot, and they heard the majesty of your voice, and they heard your voice from the fire, you revealed yourself to them with lightning and thunder, with a cold shofar, and with the shofar you appeared. As it is written, so the first verse describes God descending the mountain, thunder and lightning and heavy cloud with a powerful sound of the shofar and all the people in the camp, they trembled. So the encounter with the shofar, the first encounter in shofarot 
results in Vayecherad, charada, trembling. Then we have a second verse. The sound of the shofar was becoming continuously louder and louder. Moses would speak, God would answer Bekol, a difficult verse. And the third verse, the verse after the Sinai revelation, the people experienced the noise and the, and the, and the fire, and the shofar sounds, and the mountain which was smoking, and the people saw this, they trembled and stood far back, so our first encounter with the shofar, the shofar of Sinai, it instills in the people a sense of dread, a sense of great fear and great trembling. We remember actually in the Torah that after this experience they went to Moshe and said, we're afraid to hear God's voice. You speak to us instead. So the revelation of God can be awe-inspiring and be fearful. We remember that more than one time people who see themselves in God's presence are afraid that they will not survive the presence of God. That's how the shofar begins. And shofarot sections begins. And the first section of the sh- of shofarot refers to an event in the past. The giving of the Torah at Sinai. That experience. And now we move to the second set of verses. always refers to what we call the Ketuvim, scriptures, Ketuvim, specifically the Psalms. We are citing the Psalms. And here there's an interesting feature of this. Allah Elohim God has ascended in the Trua, Hashem Bekol Shofar, God has ascended through the sound of the shofar. That's a verse from the Psalms that we, Ashkenazim at least, recite before the sounding of the shofar. It's a coronation psalm. In other words, we seem to be moving to the present. We are presently standing in God's presence because Rosh Hashanah is a day of God's presence. And one of the manifestations of God's presence is the very fact that God is is, 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 is is a judge. God is being enthroned presently, and God is also judging. So the second verse also, before the king, make the great sound with the shofar and the trumpets. And then the third verse, sound on the chodesh, sound on the new moon, the shofar, that's a verse that's understood to be, to be connected to Rosh Hashanah itself. This day was mentioned earlier as well. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a statue and ordinance for Israel. It's a holiday for Israel. Earlier in Zichronot, it recalled the first judgment. And then strangely, we recite Psalm 150, which is the fourth verse of Psalms. We know that we only are required to mention three verses. So either I heard from Rabbi Soloveitchik or I saw that Rabbi Sal- or I was told or I wrote, read it somewhere. I don't remember where. 
Rabbi Rabbi Salavajic suggested is that this Psalm 150, which is a song, in Psalm 150, it's a song to God. Amongst the musical instruments that we employ to sing to God is the shofar. Halu b'teka shofar. Rabbi Salavajic suggested that this is a response to the verses that have come earlier. Because we've just said God is, we are standing in God's presence now, not just in the past, but the revelation is a present revelation through the very day of Rosh Hashanah itself, through the judgment. So the response, one of the appropriate religious responses to encountering God in the present is song. It can be song with musical instruments, maybe people singing. So this fourth set of verses, it's a bunch of verses, which is the last psalm, final psalm, is a psalm of song. But here the shofar itself has moved from an instrument of dread to one of the musical instruments in the symphony, in the choir. And, that's, and then we move, of course, to the third set of verses from the prophetic writings. The prophetic writings were moved always to the end of the service because the prophetic writings are hope are hopeful, hopeful statements about the future, predictions of a better future. And here it's interesting, of course, we have three more verses. In the first of the three verses, it speaks about the shofar as an announcement. The shofar is typically an announcement. Something is being stated. It's like a siren. You stop, you listen. That's the first verse. In the second verse, gadol. The shofar in the second verse is the signal to move. In fact, in the Torah, the trumpets, one of the functions of the trumpets was a signal to move. And the last verse, Hashem Alehem Yirev Yatzak Kabarak Hitzo, Hashem Lokim Bashofar Yitka, Fiorach Pesarot Teman, Hashem Tzvaot Yogain Alehem. In this prophetic statement, from the book of Zechariah, it speaks of God sounding the shofar and God marching amid the storms of the south, the Lord of hosts shall defend them. In this ninth verse, the last of this section, the shofar has been transformed from an instrument of dread to an instrument of protection. There's dread, there's announcement, there's song, and now Hashem tzvokot yogein alayhem, and we end with our own little prayer. God, you should protect your people Israel in peace, with peace. So the shofar has been transformed through the shofarot. The revelation of the past, the giving of the Torah, the revelation of the very present, the coronation of God in Rosh Hashanah. And then the prophecy about the future, from past to present to future. And in, the, in this movement from past to present to future, the shofar itself, itself has been transformed. And we end with our prayers that protect your people Israel with your peace. That's as far as the statement goes. And now, of course, we are concluding 
with our petition. is a lead-in, actually, to the petition. The petition begins, That's how we begin our petitions in the Rosh Hashanah service. We ask God to sound the great shofar of redemption, to gather us all together, to bring us to God's holy place, and there we will bring the sacrifices. Remember that the Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofarot, as is our practice, is recited in the Musaf service. The Musaf service, the additional service, is always one that fo- focuses on the sacrifices. And here we have a very interesting verse, the tenth verse that's recited, of course, from the Torah in the middle of the section. And it's a verse that raised many eyebrows because there's a difficulty. The verses that are cited are the verses from the book of Bamidbar that talk about the trumpets that were sounded. The trumpets, the Chatzotrot, the two silver trumpets, were sounded on different occasions in the desert. And the Torah also says when you come into the land, you may sound these trumpets as well. Sometimes they're sounded in times of danger, such as war. That's one kind of sound. But the Torah said on festive occasions, on days of happiness, Simchatchem, Uvamoadechem, festivals, Roshechot Shechem, first days of the month, Roshchodesh, Utetatem Bechatzotzrot, Alalotechem, Bialzivcheshamechem. You shall sound the trumpets together with the sacrifices, and they will be for you a zikaron, a remembrance before God. So the verse, verses actually don't refer to shofar at all. They don't mention shofar. They mention the chatzotzrot, the trumpets, which the text seems to suggest, though they are not the shofar, they're deeply related to the shofar. These particular trumpets are sounded in conjunction with the festive sacrifices. So here the shofar actually joins in with the, with the, with the joy of the day, with the simcha of the day. Rosh Hashanah in general is a strange day. From one perspective, it's a festival. We don't say the word simcha typically in our prayers. We don't. There was a time when people did refer to Rosh Hashanah as a day of joy. But certainly, the Rambam says it's not a day of unrestrained joy, but there is a measure of joy. It's a festival. It's a happy day. There's no mourning on Rosh Hashanah. So here the shofar is sounded in conjunction with these festive sacrifices. It shall be for you a remembrance. So the shofar has been transformed even more into a, a vehicle of joy, a representation of simcha. And of course we conclude, Ki kol shofar, for you hear the sound of the shofar, umazin shuah We end our central section of the Rosh Hashanah service by referring to the God who is hearing the sound of the shofar, pay cares, pays careful attention to the truah like no one else. Blessed are you, O God, Shamea kol truat amo Yisrael barachamim, who hears our cries, our shofar, with mercy. Here we speak of a God who actually is interpreting the shofar. The shofar, of course, is a prayer with no words. It's a wordless prayer. Sometimes maybe we ourselves don't understand what we are praying for. We don't understand our own needs. We ask God to interpret these wordless cries 
which we hope represent the best of ourselves, the deepest and most moral part of ourselves, and to interpret, to hear and to interpret our prayers. Blessed is God who hears the cries of Israel with mercies.